Today on the Church's Messy podcast, we're going to explore a little bit more about orthodoxy and unity in the church. We're also going to look at some controversial theological topics and give some tools for how do people in the church handle disagreement and the things that threaten our unity. We'll also have a little fun exploring why Rick is the way he is. Hello and welcome back to the Church is Messy podcast. I'm thrilled this morning that we're back to our regular routine now that fall is in full swing. We, uh, we're excited to be delivering weekly episodes again. Rick, welcome this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I uh, I feel like I'm completely over my jet lag. Um, uh, we just got back. Uh, today is Tuesday. We got back last Friday morning from Ghana. Your husband was on that trip. Pastor Otis was on the trip. But I feel like I've finally kind of acclimated and, and ready to go. I'm feeling great, and I'm excited to be back to a regular recording schedule. This is uh, this is a lot of fun for me. Um, it's helpful for me, and my my goal and my hope is that it's meaningful for those uh, who are part of Ottermans Church or those who are who are listening in from wherever uh, they might be. One of the things we'd like to be able to do is make this feel not just like a conversation between you and me, but more of like a conversation between us and the listeners. And one of the ways that we can do that is by answering questions. How, how is it that people are able to get their questions to us so we could actually respond. Yeah, we'd love that. We'd love people to send in their questions. Mm -hmm. There's an easy way to do that. Just email us at podcast at autumnridgechurch.org. So keep this in mind as people are listening to the weekend messages, as they've had some time to process it, maybe as they've had some time to discuss things with their small group, there inevitably will be different questions or points that uh, that they think, boy, I'd love to hear Rick say something Mm -hmm. more about that. So if you've got a question or a comment or something that you'd like to hear us discuss on this podcast, please do just shoot us an email, podcast at autumnridgechurch.org, and uh, and listen in and see if we can uh, incorporate that question into a future episode. Great. I look forward to that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, this message has mm-hmm. all kinds of content that we can discuss, uh, but uh, maybe do you want to give a little bit of a recap? This is the the first message kicking off a two-week sacred series. That's right. Every every couple of weeks in September, we like to uh, carve out time for something we call the, the sacred series. And something that people will hear me say a lot, we don't just stand on, we dance on the shoulders of men and women who came before us. Uh, we are united with all believers throughout time and, and around the globe. And the thing that unites us is the thing that Jesus was praying for. Uh, the thing that unites us is the faith. Jude described it like this in, in Jude uh, verse 3, uh, the faith that was entrusted once and for all uh, to God, to God's people. And uh, we are united in what we believe. Um, it is beautifully summarized, the essentials of it, the non-negotiables of it. Uh, sometimes the word orthodox is used or orthodoxy. Uh, if ever you've taken your kids to get braces, think about orthodontist. Orthodoxy just means straight teaching. This is the mm-hmm. this is the stuff that keeps us aligned with what it is that Jesus uh, really wants us to know what he came to to accomplish uh, and uh, this is this is what we proclaim. And so the Nicene Creed that was originally published in 325 AD, uh, a revision in 381 not contradicting what came before, uh, but just adding some clarifying language. 325 they're trying to answer the question, what do we believe about Jesus? 381 they wanted to make sure, hey, we want to make sure that we're clarifying what do we believe about the Holy Spirit as well. So the Nicene Creed is uh, is not a document that necessarily has authority, but what it is, it's a crystal clear 
beautiful, helpful summary mm-hmm. of the essentials of the faith that are taught from the authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we just wanted to uh, begin to uh, this this two-week series by focusing on the Nicene Creed. This is what we are all united in. And so when we affirm that, we are honoring Jesus' prayer request for unity. But there's another aspect of unity, and this is the unity that, uh, the, the relational unity that we have to embrace whenever we experience disagreement. Number one, there's going to be people who try to sometimes sneak in and teach things that contradict orthodoxy. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, But what we're going to experience most frequently is where we have disagreements somewhere down the ladder beneath the level of orthodoxy. It doesn't Mm -hmm. rise to that level. Mm -hmm. They might be meaningful questions uh, to to you or to me. They're, they're, They're questions, they're disagreements that matter. They don't rise to the level of orthodoxy. So how do we have unity when we have very real and meaningful disagreements. So that was the other half of the message. And um, it's really applying what it means to be loving, what it means to be Christ-like. Um, it's applying the gospel uh, to our uh, to our own emotional intelligence level mm-hmm. and, 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 and the way that we interrelate with each other so that we can cultivate relational unity, even in times of disagreement. We don't disagree on matters of orthodoxy, but sometimes... Maybe lots of times we disagree on things that don't rise to that level. So we're trying to wrestle through how do we disagree mm-hmm. in a way that honors and maintains unity. All right. Can I ask you a, a somewhat personal question right off of the bat here? Please do. Yeah. Because... I've had enough coffee that I'm ready to <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to, to answer something personal. Well, I'm glad to hear that because you expressed, at least in a couple of the, the uh, services, that you were ready to go to a place of pretty deep vulnerability mm-hmm. in this message and mm-hmm. that uh, that you just had some things you really needed to speak from your heart. Yeah. I couldn't help but wonder if, as you said that, was there something in particular that you feel like is going on in our church that triggered this need for this message? Are, are, are you troubled by something that you're seeing? What... Uh, what was your heart in in choosing this topic? The concept of orthodoxy doesn't seem that controversial, uh, and yet you took it to a a level that was a little bit provocative. What what triggered sure. that? Well, the we'll get to this in a minute. Make sure that it, make sure that I come back to this orthodoxy. Orthodox teaching might be more controversial than than people realize. Mm. It is not one thing. It's not one thing that inspired this. It's not one thing that that led me to to say and to focus on some of the things that we focused on. But it has been uh, over my two and a half plus years of being here now um, that whenever we experience disagreement, we struggle to know how to live out unity in a way that I think mm. honors Christ. Mm-hmm. It's not one particular thing. It's just this has become normal. And I think there are a lot of reasons why this has become normal. And, and I really want to say this from a place of empathy. It is hard to be at our best. Mm. Uh, we have navigated some very difficult things. And everybody has a margin um, for being able to process difficulty and change. Everyone has an elasticity <laughs> quotient for, for for navigating change. And I think a lot of us has been stressed past our elasticity point. We've been mm. we've been taken to the edge of, of what we can handle. And I get that. And I and I want to respect that. I want to honor that. And yet I also want to um, honor Jesus and his prayer request for us above all. Does that make sense? It does. But do you think that Autumn Ridge is unique in these challenges? I don't think uh, I don't think Autumn Ridge is unique. This is just normal in America right now, and unfortunately, it's normal in American church culture. And let's be honest, it's normal in churches around 
around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something that everybody has got to face. This is something that every church has to face. We are not, um, we we are we are not uniquely bad. We are not uniquely good. We are um, we're sheep, <laughs> and like all sheep, we we need to follow the leadership of our chief shepherd. Um, and so we we have vulnerabilities. And right now, I think because of all the tumultuous stuff that's gone on in our culture and and around the world, that we're experiencing some of those vulnerabilities more acutely towards disunifying and divisive behavior. Mm. Um, so it's not it's not one thing in particular here in our church, and it's not something that our church isn't as good as other churches. This is just normal, and it's everywhere. Um, a week ago, I had an experience that I don't have a lot. I mean, I have them sometimes in my life, but I, but I don't have it a lot. And I was, I was at Dittany Baptist Church in Yindi, Ghana, uh, on the stage, getting ready to speak. Worship was taking place, and I'm, I'm watching how, how this particular church worships, and I'm, I'm getting involved, and sometimes I'm able to sing the songs because they sing the same songs we do. Um, uh, they would sing songs that show up in both our traditional service and our modern services. Uh, they were singing songs in, in, in Kakumba, which is a language I don't understand or speak. And, and so, but, uh, but it was just this beautiful expression. Uh, people were dancing. I got roped into dancing by the pastor there. Um, <laughs> I've there, seen the video. It's there, actually yeah, pretty impressive. There is a, there is a, there is a video. Um, and so listen, I, the, the worship was real. The rhythm may not have been, but so anyway, I'm just having this moment, and I'm, as I'm getting ready to preach, I just find my—and this is not typically who I am, but I, my eyes were just filling with tears, and I'm having to wipe my, my, my face as I'm getting ready to—as I, as I know the moment of preaching is coming. I was just overwhelmed hmm. with a sense of joy and a sense of unity and just hmm. wonder that wherever you go in the world hmm. – um, and you go into a church, you are a part of the same family of Christ, mm. the same family. The, 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 the unity that we share is astonishing and it is beautiful and, it, and it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it is the same gospel. It's the same gospel everywhere. And I experienced, I experienced that in a profound way. Mm. Um, and it was after church, I went and I sat in my, in my little hotel room and, and I began sketching out and writing portions of this message. And it was as if I want to be, I want to be open-handed, and, and, and I do want to embrace some humility here, but it was as if Jesus was saying to me, this is what I want you to say. Mm. And so that's how I approached this weekend. I approached it um, in a very real way. It was quite sacred for me. And, I, and so I'm sharing from my heart, but I'm also sharing from my heart what I believe Jesus is leading me to say, because it is good mm. for us. If we can just... Uh, if we could just embrace this and wrestle this and allow him to lead us through this in his way. Mm. My way is not a great way. <laughs> my way, my natural way is a bit more aggressive and, and direct. And um, let's just make sure everybody understands what I think. And let, let me persuade you to think like I think. That's just, you know, Jesus' way is so much better than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, before we get into some of the the potholes or maybe the, the mm -hmm. areas that threaten unity mm -hmm. in the church... Could you maybe just center us again on what are some of the non-negotiables? What are the essentials? What are the things that do unite us with churches around the globe oh, in the present day and for all time since uh, the days of the early church? So I don't want to I don't want to read the the Nicene Creed. I would encourage people just Google Nicene Creed 381. If you want to go 325, you can, but read <laughs> read 381. It's it's fan, it's fantastic. Uh, some of the non-negotiables or the essentials of Orthodox faith, the bones of our faith is that uh, God is a trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is one in being and three in persons. That's why we use terms like the Godhead. That's why we use 
Trinity, not three distinct beings, one in being, three in persons, that Jesus is um, fully God, and he took on what it means to be uh, fully man, that the Jesus Christ is eternally the second person of the Trinity. So I referenced this earlier, that orthodoxy is a bit more controversial than maybe we, mm. we might realize. A study just came out, I think it was published yesterday, um, it says 70% of evangelicals <laughs> don't believe that Jesus is eternally God. I saw that. That oh. is a major problem. Yes. It's a major problem. Fascinatingly, 65% of evangelicals say that sex before marriage is a sin. So for whatever reason, and maybe to our shame, we've done a good job of saying, um, listen, this is what you should and shouldn't do sexually, but we haven't necessarily done a good job of teaching who Jesus is. And what we do and don't do only makes sense in light of who he is and what he has done for us. He's our authority. He's the one who shapes our identity. And then all the things that we do with our life comes out of what he has accomplished mm-hmm. for us. So the most important thing is to know who he is. So God is Trinity. Jesus is fully God, uh, fully, fully man, um, that the crucifixion, uh, the resurrection are real, knowable, um, historic events. Um, we are, that, uh, that we are scriptural. This is part of what it means to be under apostolic authority, um, that, uh, that the church is one holy, catholic, apostolic. And what that means is, one, we're united. Uh, Holy, we're set apart by God for his purposes. Uh, Catholic means universal. Don't think Roman Catholic. Take a totally different Mm -hmm. definition, kind of what I experienced when I went to Ghana or when I've been to India or, or you've been in churches any other place around our country or around the world. And then it's apostolic. We are under the authority of the teaching of the apostles. All that we know about Jesus comes from from what they preached, what they passed on, and what they wrote to us. Um, so those are those are some. That's not everything that's included, um, but th- those are some of the highlights mm-hmm. of what would be included in the non-negotiables of orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. So you illustrated that in the message with that being kind of under the first level of an umbrella, and that that under mm-hmm. this this umbrella of orthodoxy is all of these essential beliefs of the true Christian faith that unite us with churches around the globe. Yes. And uh, and yet we have... And throughout history. And throughout history. Yeah. And yet we have all of these uh, in almost innumerable different expressions of how different churches practice that and mm-hmm. practice uh, different elements of their faith. And there's there can be a couple of levels of that. There mm-hmm. are some topics that uh, that maybe are... are to, to define different denominations on issues such as baptism. Do you baptize infants? Do you baptize adults? And how do you baptize them? Do you do mm. you immerse them in water? Do you pour water over them? Do you sprinkle water? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yet these are not issues that are that are essential to whether or not someone may be saved. That's right. But uh, but it is an expression of how That's these right. beliefs are understood. One baptism is essential, and the, it is talked about in the Nicene Creed. But um, whether or not it's <laughs> baptizing young children, baptizing people after they made a profession of faith, the mode, ba- sprinkling, pouring, um, immersing. I'm, I'm not ready to, to say, okay, that's at the orthodox level. Your understanding of that probably has some significant implications, and it's an important thing. And it's, and it's totally, under, totally understandable to, to say, you know what, I'm, I've got to be a part of a church who understands this in the same way I do. It doesn't mean that you're a divisive person. You've got to mm-hmm. make a judgment call. We totally, we totally respect that. Mm-hmm. But baptism is key, but there are some disagreements about baptism, and that's totally allowed. It doesn't mean we're not united. Well, and then I was 
actually kind of amazed and excited that you pushed a little harder into some more controversial topics because it really interfaced with a lot of some of the struggles that I had growing up. Mm-hmm. You pointed to topics uh, such as how you interpret what scripture has to say about how God created the world. Yes. Did he create the world in six literal 24-hour days or were there other possibilities of how the the scripture writers maybe intended that to be communicated? And, and that was a topic that I grew up with as kind of a litmus test for whether or not you believed in the authority of Scripture. Sure. If you, if you read that to be literal six 24-hour days, you were saying, yes, I believe that Scripture says exactly what it says. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if you had any other viewpoint of that, you were kind of on a slippery slope of maybe rejecting the authority of Scripture. And so the question that I'd love to kind of drive you towards right now mm-hmm. is while how God created, or another issue you pointed to was the issue of women in ministry leadership. Sure. Yeah. Um, those topics aren't necessarily related to whether or not someone may be saved or not. It's not mm-hmm. on that level of top tier orthodoxy. And yet, I think people have views about some of these second or third level issues that at its heart to, to the way that they understand these issues gets to how you read scripture and whether or not you're ascribing total authority to mm-hmm. scripture. And that's a top tier issue. Yeah. So let's pick, let's pick somebody who's one of the most well-known advocates for six-day literal uh, creationism. His name is Ken Ham. Um, and so this guy is absolutely convinced this is what biblical writers were trying to communicate. Um, and he's influenced a lot of people in that regard. You take a, another guy who doesn't, uh, the, uh, there's a couple of guys that come to mind. One is Hugh Ross. Another uh, would be William Lane Craig. William Lane Craig doesn't believe in six-day little cre- literal creationism, and yet he believes that God is the one who's responsible for all creation. All right. Now, there is absolute room for those two to disagree and to be able to share their reasons for disagreement and be united in orthodoxy. And if you're more in line with agreeing with Ken Ham, that's okay. If you're more in line with agreeing with William Lane Craig, that's okay. You can be utterly united in orthodoxy, and that's fine. There is a, I'm just going to call it this kind of sneaky, ugly pothole that we're vulnerable to stepping in. And this is the sneaky, ugly pothole. When you say, I'm convinced that this is what biblical writers were trying to teach, that it's six-day literal creationism, and someone disagrees, and then you just assume or label them or write them off as, well, they don't trust the Bible. Mm. Well, that's the problem, because that's probably what's not going on. What's going on is they understand it differently than you. Mm. It's not that they're rejecting the Bible. They're their understanding of what biblical writers were intending to communicate is different than what you understand biblical writers were intending to communicate. It's not that they're rejecting the Bible and you're holding it up. It's not that they're holding up the Bible and you're rejecting it. The two of you disagree on what the correct understanding is. Mm. So you are united absolutely in your trust and your honor of, of God's word and elevating it to its rightful place of authority. You just disagree on what it means. That's very helpful, and and that speaks to my experience when I've been in a room when people are arguing about different topics, such as as the ones that we've mentioned here, mm-hmm. and how quickly it can divide yeah. uh, relationships, divide uh, the way that people are even engaging with each other in the church, and that that's at its heart the very threat to what you've 
been you were preaching on about Jesus's yeah. call for us to be united. So when we do find ourselves in these kinds of disagreements, and and both people feel like their interpretation of Scripture is the correct one and yeah. the one that uh, is appropriate for for giving total authority to, mm-hmm. what then? Yeah. So let me let me use an example. Hopefully this will this this will help make this clear. Uh, if I said, Svea, we're going to record biweekly. How often are we recording?" <laughs> well, that's rather vague. It could mean twice a week or it could mean every other week. <laughs> that's right. And so if I just if we left written instructions, "Hey, we're going to record biweekly and and our production production team that kind of helps put this together." Well, if one of them says, "Well, listen, we need to be down there twice a week." And the other says, "No, we only need to be down there every other week to help set this up." Who is one of I'm them? I'm sure that would never happen. <laughs> is one of them taking the instructions more seriously than the other? Or are they both taking it equally seriously? Sure. Yeah, they're they're both right in taking it equally seriously. What they are trying to get to? Okay, what did I mean when I wrote biweekly? Mm-hmm. And so now we have to dig in. They could come to me directly and say, Rick, you said biweekly. Which way do you mean that? Twice a week or every other week? Now we can't go talk to Moses. We can't go talk to Paul. We can't talk to other biblical writers when they when they reference this. So what we do is we engage in study. I absolutely want you to pray. I actually want you to read it carefully, devotionally, and prayerfully, but I also want you to study it carefully and engage in all the evidences and all the reasons for why people see it the way they do. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to make a decision based on what you believe is the best explanation of all the evidence provided. Mm, Does that make sense? That's very helpful. It's not a quick thing. You can't summarize that on Twitter, right? You can't, <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's not a quick, fast process. It, it takes time. And I think God's word is worth it. I mm-hmm. think these matters are so important that it's worth taking your time. And it's totally okay to say this. You know what? I don't think I know for sure where I land. This is where I'm leaning, but I'm studying it and I'm open to being shown that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I just I wanna know, I wanna know what God's word, not just what it not just what it says, but what it means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So shifting gears mm-hmm. a little bit, maybe going a little deeper and mm-hmm. a little bit more personal. Mm-hmm. I've been around enough and uh, and heard enough complaints as we've gone through this transition period, both mm-hmm. through COVID and through leadership changes and and your time here, that uh, that at times you've had some some comments thrown your way mm-hmm. that are not necessarily charitable in your beliefs about scripture and oh, the sure. authorities of scripture. Oh yeah. And that there have been times where you've said something that maybe contradicts what someone sitting in the in the so-called pews mm-hmm. uh, maybe disagrees with. And 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 charges have at times been leveled against you that maybe you're you're not uh, showing proper respect for the authority of scripture. How, how do you personally respond mm-hmm. to that kind of a divisive comment. Let me tell you about a conversation that I was in one time. It was it was over breakfast and uh, someone made some statements, you know, about God's word is sufficient and this is this is what we need and God uses his word and it's authoritative. And I said, I believe all of those things. I believe everything that you just said. And God, I, listen, it has everything we need for life and godliness that it is that it is breathed into that this is what God uses through his holy spirit uh, to teach us, to rebuke us, to to, to train us, to, to correct us. This is, we absolutely need it. It is our authority. We happily place ourselves underneath uh, the, the authority of God's word. And he looked at me and he said, you, that's not what you believe. Hmm. I said, well, that absolutely is what, it, it is what I believe. But here's the deal. If you're not willing, if you're not willing to believe me when I say that, then what that says is, 
you think that I'll lie to you and I'll say whatever it is I have to say mm. to get you to my side. And so if that's the case, I don't know what else I could say. And maybe it's not even helpful for me to say anything. So let's just, you know, let's enjoy our breakfast and enjoy each other's conversation. And we'll mm-hmm. just, we don't have to engage this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we're not willing to be, to take people at their word, if we're conspiracy theorists and we're convinced that people are just lying, if you're convinced that I'm lying to you when I say I love God's word, it's authoritative, it is without error and all that intends to teach. If you just don't believe that, well, I don't know, what can I say? Mm-hmm. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. And it's a, that's a that's a tough spot to be in. Now that does not describe most people that I've that that I've encountered. That would be the most extreme. What's more common? What's far more common is when I have an understanding of what God's word is intending to teach is different from what someone else thought or what they expected to hear, and they're experiencing some dissonance. They're experiencing maybe even the feeling of disorientation mm-hmm. because what they're now in is. Which, am I allowed to disagree with my pastor? And the answer is yes, you're allowed to disagree with me. Or it's this, have I equated my interpretation of scripture um, with being... So scripture, one of the things we say scripture is without, is, is inerrant. It is, it, is, it is reliable, it is trustworthy, it's true, and all that it intends to teach it is authoritative. So that's what scripture is. My interpretation isn't necessarily that. It's absolutely not that, mm. <laughs> right? What 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 scripture intends to teach is inerrant, it's authoritative, my interpretation can be flawed. And sure. sometimes we experience a gap between that. Well, well, this is my interpretation. Well, it's not my interpretation that's inerrant. It's scripture that's authoritative, reliable, true and all that intends to teach. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I'm being I don't know if I'm being a little murky. Could I can you help me help me? <laughs> can you help me be more clear as I'm trying to answer this really good question you just asked? Well, yeah, I think in the heart of wanting to be united, when you have experienced mm-hmm. comments that you see as a threat to unity in the mm-hmm. church, I, I, what I asked you about was kind of on the the big level, the uh, the thirty thousand foot view when people are struggling over theological issues. Mm-hmm. Where I'm about to head next is is on issues that maybe aren't really related to theology, but sure. but still have a threat to unity in the church. But uh, but I was just looking for you to give a little bit of of how you've handled that when people come at you with uh, with divisive type questions. This one is a tough. I try to be a good listener, and I just try try to affirm. Listen, I I love God's word. I I, I teach it. I think one of one of the things that I've tried to do is. Make sure that people see this is what I'm standing on when we talk about hard topics. We've talked about, we've talked about hell. We've talked about, um, we've talked about uh, sexual ethics in a way that absolutely mm-hmm. cuts against the grain of mm-hmm. our culture. I feel like I've done everything that I can do to say, listen, I am under the authority of Scripture. What it says, I affirm, and I'm not going to back off, even though I know sometimes people don't want to teach it now, uh, or sometimes people don't want to hear it now. There is room to disagree on what it means, mm-hmm. and I happen to see it this way. I'd love to hear more about why you see it the way that see it the way that you do. But if I could be really, just, this is just me, just being honest and vulnerable, not a place of hostility, not anger. So, almost never, almost never, is it someone saying, "Can you help me understand why you see it that way?" Mm. Almost never. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming majority of the time is. Well, I see it differently than you, and I think you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Never a conversation. And I think Jesus would want us to converse. 
I think you would want us to. I think you would want us to to talk. I think one one of the reasons that the Bereans were praised is because they studied and they and they dug in, mm-hmm. and we can do that together, and we can do that, mm-hmm. we can do that relationally. Well, and highly intelligent people are often very curious people. We should be, yes, mm-hmm. we are, should be. Who are who are interested to find out why does someone else see something in a different way? One of the reasons that I think that we can't do this is because of fear, and we may not be aware of how much fear is inside of us. And let's remember that love casts out fear. Mm-hmm. We're able to say, "Hey, tell me why it is you see it the way." We do not have to be threatened by that. Mm-hmm. We don't have to be threatened. Okay, so shifting away mm-hmm. from maybe theological topics that have some controversy associated with them to mm-hmm. things that you wouldn't ordinarily think are controversial, but can be in the church and even can be somewhat uh, divisive. So, Before you get into this, let's just say this. Ev- anything can be controversial when people have experienced too much change sure, too quickly, right? When you've experienced a rate of change at a rate that you can't keep up with, Anything and everything will become controversial. Sure. And that, that's okay. That's that's understandable. It's still our responsibility to respond well, but but we gotta just acknowledge that. Sure. That's that's a good point. Um on Sunday night, we mm-hmm. had a, a fun time with our small group leaders and uh, <laughs> yeah. did some small group leader training. By for the way, a, can I just say I'm so proud of our small group leaders. We have 50 small groups with over 500 people yes. um, participating in small groups. That means that we are we are somewhere around, if not a little over 50% right now. That's amazing. Yeah. Hey, and way to go. You've oh. been leading that effort. Way to go. Well, thank you. I'm very excited about our small group ministry, and we've yeah. got some great things coming up with mm-hmm. bringing groups together to do a church-wide series that will go in the sermon series starting in a couple of weeks. So yeah. yeah, excited about that. But the fun thing that happened, or well, one of the many fun things that happened on Sunday night was uh, a recap of something we've done before where mm-hmm. you and and three of the other pastors came up and performed skits about uh, being bad small group members. Yeah, we are too good at mimicking. <laughs> it, was, it was a little tongue-in-cheek yeah, and, and it, was, it was quite enjoyable. But uh, you in particular illustrated mm-hmm. the person in the small group who has some complaints mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and you even took it to the next level of complaining about the pastor. <laughs> so well, th- I w- you gave me instructions. These are the things you're supposed to complain about. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll just share some complaints. It, it was good, and it, yeah. it illustrated well. It opened up a discussion of how to handle yeah. that kind of thing when yeah, it yeah. happens in the small group. But uh, but I was highly amused when the first thing you complained about, if I recall correctly, was that the pastor wasn't wearing a tie. Yeah, and uh, and I could just see something in your eye that maybe this is something that's been said to you before that, uh, that oh, yeah. you don't wear a tie to preach. And and, and this and, is a reason that has caused people to stop coming. Mm. to our church. Mm. Uh, I don't know how many people, but I know some people have said to me, I stopped coming because of this. And okay. So here's something when mm-hmm. when you preached the message, you talked you gave some yeah. directions for for uh, what to do when you're mm-hmm. maybe finding yourself in a position of disagreement. You talked about being curious. Mm-hmm. You talked about asking questions. Yeah. And so I would love to just ask you some questions about okay. some of these things. So why don't you wear a tie to preach for, for all the people that, that might feel like there there's a reverence missing in sure. the way that you dress? Sure. Why don't you wear a tie? I'll, I'll give it, first I'll do the short answer, then I'll do the long answer. Okay. The, the, the short answer is I, I'm, not, I'm not too excited about wearing a tie. I, I don't love wearing a tie. And the way that I dress makes me... Uh, makes a lot of people feel like who I am and who we are and what I'm teaching is more accessible. Mm. Uh, more, I, I've, I've heard so many times in my life, when I saw you on stage and you were wearing a flannel shirt, I thought, I can listen to this guy. Mm. 
And that is so important to me. I want to remove all the unnecessary obstacles to people being able to hear the gospel because the gospel is offensive enough. Hey, you are far more guilty <laughs> and sinful than you could ever uh, dare imagine, but you're far more loved and, and forgiven and accepted in Christ than you could ever dare hope. That is an offensive message. It's a life-giving message. I want people to be able to hear that. And if I can dress in a way that makes it easier for people to hear that, that's what I want to do. Okay. Maybe this is going to be part of your long answer, but let me just, in the spirit of asking questions and, mm-hmm. and modeling that, what if I'm someone who who can hear that and say, all right, so you're doing that to try to be authentic to who you are. You're being relatable to people who maybe also don't mm-hmm. appreciate tie wearing. But what if I'm someone who feels that wearing a tie is a show of reverence to God and it's a show of reverence to the mm-hmm. the the honor that it is to be standing in front of a, a pulpit, so to speak? Well, one, I would say if you feel like that is that is how you want to express your honor um, of God, your reverence and your love of him, and that's how you want to visually represent bringing your best, then you should do that. Absolutely, absolutely do that. Um, we are, <clears throat> I, for the past, before I came here for 15 years, you would never see anybody in a coat and tie in the churches that I was a part of. The only time you would see someone in a coat and tie, um, well, you would know that uh, they are a former Mormon and this is their first time coming to a non, mm. into a, to a non-Mormon religious service. Um, but it just, it's just not a part of my culture. It's it's not it's not not a part of, of who I am. But when I came to Autumn Ridge, this is one of the things that I learned. And I could even see this when I was candidating, and no one except for a handful of people knew that I was actually visiting Autumn Ridge at that mm-hmm. time. Uh, what John Steer would do is he would dress typically coat and tie, more traditional, and the traditional service, and then he would either take off his, co- his coat, make some sort of change for the modern service. Mm-hmm. And after John Steer retired, there was a gap between his retirement and when I arrived and there were guest speakers who came, they would do the same thing. Uh, when I came the first weekend that Heather and I were here, I saw the guest speaker do that. His name is his name was Scott Rideout. He dressed one way for the uh, traditional service and a different way for the for the modern service. And mm-hmm. I and when I first got here, I thought, man, I wonder how am I going to bridge that gap? And I was hoping that I could dress in one way that bridged the gap for both. Although that might be a tad a tad ambitious. But what happened immediately? My very first weekend as the pastor and preaching was COVID, COVID lockdown. Mm. And so we went to we went to video services only. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming majority of people only engaged via video for at least a year. And so there wasn't a traditional service and then a modern service. There was only one service. That's right. Right. And so we would film traditional music and we would film modern music, but I would only film the message once. And for at least a year, the overwhelming majority of people saw me dressed in one way. Mm. And then when we got back together about six months in and we started to do in-person services, they were only modern. And one of the reasons that they were only modern is because we were not able uh, to accomplish some of the distinctives of a traditional service while meeting in person. There was a lot of reasons for that, but uh, there was health concerns, all kinds of restrictions. We were really only able to reasonably pull off a modern service. So I dressed in the dressed in the in, in the modern service uh, 
you know, before hearing you say yeah. that, I've it's never that hadn't yeah. ever occurred to me. So, mm-hmm. by the time by the time we actually get to where we have a traditional service, and I mean the people are really starting to come back, and now we're now we're having over a thousand adults in in, in service on Sunday. If you count kids, we're probably up around twelve hundred, mm-hmm. which means we're only about three hundred off where we were pre COVID levels. We are we are growing, and that's exciting. This past weekend, um, we had the highest. Uh, Pastor Paul McDonald says the highest uh, single weekend of first-time visitors that he's ever heard of. It's we had over forty first-time visitors. Yeah, that's so exciting. Super exciting. Good things are happening. But anyway, I, dig- I digress. <laughs> what was what happened was I was just I could only dress one way, and now that people are back, and now that we have two services, do I begin to act differently? Yeah. Do I begin to dress differently than I had for a solid year? And I thought it would be disingenuous of me. Mm. I thought it would be inauthentic of me. I thought it would be a little bit too performance-based mm. of me to now begin wearing two different types of clothing mm-hmm. on Sunday morning. And I just don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I noticed is that in our traditional service, people were dressing more casually. I don't know if I had an impact on that, but it's one of the things that I noticed. Not everybody does. And you should... You should just come dressed, but come dressed however you want to dress. <laughs> Just come dressed, right? Um, one of the things that I think about too is um, I think in Old Testament that uh, this God had to teach Samuel this, especially when he's trying to pick who's going to be the king that replaced Saul. God looks on the inside, not on the outside. Mm. Um, in James, one of the problems in the early church that James had to address is that people were being treated differently. For, by their economic status, and they were being evaluated by their appearance. Mm. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to participate in that. And even one of the things that that Paul uh, had to address numerous times is, don't come dressed too ostentatiously. Demonstrate Christlikeness and humility by the way that you, uh, by the way that you, uh, by the way that you present yourself. Mm-hmm. And so these are some of the things. These are some of the things that 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 influence me. And so I hope hearing a little bit of the backstory is helpful for people to know why. The thing why I'm a little different in the way that I do some things. Well, thank you for for filling in some of that background and context because I think what you just illustrated is that often there are reasons, there are strategies, mm-hmm. there's intention, there's thought uh, behind a lot of the things that you do as pastor, mm-hmm. that we do as a church, that the the church leadership is pointing us towards. There's there's something else that I think people recognize, but they may not know how to fully articulate. And especially people who've been around for a while. And what I'm going to say next, it's not a value statement. It's just, it, these are just just facts side by side. Um, the previously pastor, John Steer, probably would say that he felt more naturally at home in a traditional service. Mm. And you could see that mm-hmm. in the way that he talked and the way that he dressed and the way that he engaged. Pretty obvious. I feel more natural and at home in a more modern service. And you can see that in the way that I talk and the way that I engage and the, the way that I dress. And I think people are picking up on those differences. One is not better than the other, and yet they are different. Mm. Yep, that's, a, that's a good point, too. But I think as we were talking through this, I hope that people are are feeling the sense of that there's safety in just talking about an issue, whether yes. it's a controversial yeah. theological topic or whether it's something like wearing a tie, that uh, that rather than than letting emotion behind it, uh, fear you pointed to beh- mm-hmm. before, or mm-hmm. frustration, or just a reaction to change, mm-hmm. uh, before letting those kinds of emotions bubble up and bubble over and create divisiveness, 
Let's have a conversation. When I when I talked about fear earlier, there probably I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people who are thinking, I'm not afraid. What what would there be afraid of? The fear is loss. Mm. That what I've counted on and what I've trusted in and what I've been comfortable with is going away. Mm. And and there's a little bit of there's there's a little bit of fear of that. And the thing that we find our real comfort and stability in is in Jesus, in his teaching, and in the unity that we share among his people. That is not going away. Yeah. Well said. So before we close this out, is there mm-hmm. is there anything that's arisen for you since you preached this message? Either something that you wished you might have said a little differently or some comments that have come to you since then that uh, you've, you've got a little bit of a, an extra chance right now to, to flesh something out or to add a little bit more to the conversation. I'm, I'm not thinking, there's nothing coming to mind that hey, I wish I would have said this differently. I just want to make sure that, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to make sure that I'm clear on this. It's, unity doesn't mean that we don't disagree. Unity is about how we disagree whenever we experience disagreement. Um, being curious, asking questions as best we can, and then somewhere after that, <laughs> when the disagreement remains, just state it with grace. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, I just want to remind people if they have questions, if mm-hmm. they've got content that they'd like to hear discussed, uh, maybe they don't have the opportunity to to come and talk to you face to face. But again, send us an email at podcast at autumnridgechurch.org, and we would love to address the comments and questions that we get. All right. Thanks, Faith. Look forward to uh, chatting with everybody next week. See you next week. Mm-hmm.